Let's just take a moment to uh, ask the Lord to bless his word, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have enjoyed a wonderful time of prayer and praise as we've worshipped already this morning. We've enjoyed this uh, wonderful thought that Lord Jesus paid our ransom and paid in full. And so, Lord, we thank you that this is the message of the cross. This is the message of hope. This is a message that we can enjoy, exalt in, and most importantly, raise the Lord Jesus up to, for he is worthy of our praise and worship. Lord, thank you again for your presence in this place. We pray that our ears may be opened, our hearts may be uh, open to your word, and that as we look into your word this morning, we may go away from here uh, strengthened in the inner man and built up in that holy faith of the Lord Jesus. Thank you again for all you have done. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The passage that I believe we are looking at this morning, um, the reason I say that is because we had 39 parables that were assigned, and I was assigned the watchful servant. And so... um, I believe this is the passage. It may have been found in other places, but let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 35, to look at this parable. Let your waist be girded, your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you that he will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. And if he should come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched, not allow his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Have you had anything unexpected happen this week? I can guarantee without even looking at your faces that every one of you has had something unexpected happen. And quite frankly, if you didn't, you probably were either asleep or maybe weren't on the earth during this past week. Because everything happens according to a plan. It's just it's never our plan. We have a great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he says... I have set before you an open door. And we go through it and we go, I never expected this. Oh my, this is not what we expected here on the other side of this door. God is a God who loves to surprise. And if you haven't had a surprise this week, if you haven't had something unexpected, then, well, you will. (laughs) It will happen. I'm reminded of the gentleman who was talking to his wife and she says, I can't start the car again. Well, what's the matter, he said. Ah, oh, it's got water in the carburetor. Really? Where's the car? It's in the lake. <laughs> oh, okay. Unexpected. Things unexpected happen. Um, yeah. We have a little friendly little bear. He's always surprising us at unexpected moments. This morning... We're heading out the door to the breaking bread service. 
Lo and behold, my loving wife Becky says, oh, by the way, bring a rake with you when you head out the door. The bear's been in the garbage again. So at least we have this wonderful bit of news for you, and that is simply this. The first time it came, it gave a very large gift in return, and at least this time it just left a trash pile around the garbage bin. Not too difficult to put away. Yes, unexpected things. Well, how about this for unexpected things? Normally we do PowerPoints here, and I've been doing them for a couple of years now, and I don't know about you, but I find it can be either a great thing or a distraction. So you're going to have to work without a PowerPoint. That's maybe for some of you unexpected because we're in a visual age, right? We want to see things. We want to see things going across the screen. Mind you, for some people, seeing dots going across the screen is a big distraction. And, and, and they get focused in on the dots. That's all they can see is those dots going across that screen. So I'm going to suggest that focus in on the Lord and on his word. Uh, this morning, and uh, first of all, we have to remember that the Word of God is never out of context. So while we've only read the passage 35 to the uh, to verse 40, not even reading Peter's response in verse 41, I, I want to bring it back to a little bit of context because it's very important that everything fits together. Um, there isn't a thread in the Word of God that's missing. It's all together as one complete and, and beautiful work. We sometimes think we don't understand it, and rightly so. It's like a tapestry. We're looking at it from the wrong side. We don't see it as God sees it. So at the beginning of the chapter, we have the encounter uh, of uh, Jesus, who is, uh, he meets um, a gentleman who says, um, listen, teacher, verse 13, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It is a known fact that in today's age, uh, the boomers are going to receive an inheritance that was given to them by their parents. And there is a significant uh, funding involved in that, in that uh, inheritance. But even greater is the inheritance that Jesus has given us, that we were reading about in Ephesians, that we have a sure deposit, an inheritance, which is the Holy Spirit. And he's been given to us that we might know for sure that we are indeed born again. And so we have a divine inheritance. Are you thinking that you're poor today? Let me remind you, we are not the poor in this world. If you look at poverty, 15% of the world that we know population makes less than $2 a day. 56% of the world makes between $2 and $10 a day. 13% makes between $10 and $20 per day. 9% makes uh, an amazing $20 to $50 per day. And 6% makes $50 to $90 per day. The remaining 1% of the world makes above $90 a day. And if you are working at minimum wage here in Ontario, your salary is $112 per day. Minimum wage. We belong in our society to the 1% that is the richest in the world. Have you ever thought about that? You're poor, but you're rich. Because you're comparing yourself with others who are the millionaires and the billionaires. But in fact, 
if you were to look at 99% of the world, you and I are the wealthiest nation from a monetary point of view. And I say that very delicately because God sees wealth way different than we do. And this is what Jesus talks about. He does this parable about the the man, which we've already looked at, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time, but uh, the man who was building the bigger barns. Every time I drive down to New Lisgard, there's that one section where you see the grain silos, and every time you go by there, there's more silos. It's like the man in the parable. He's building bigger barns, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Where do you stop? Notice it said, I will pull down my barns. This is my problem. I've got too much wealth. I need some place to store it. Wow, that's a problem, huh? Uh, Woe to you. Maybe you need that problem. (laughs) He had a problem. Barns weren't big enough. He had to pull down the barn. He could have just given to the poor. And he wouldn't have needed to pull down anything. But no, he's concerned about what he was going to do. And what does God say to him? Now, the new... Uh, the New King James says fool. Looking up this word in the, di- the dictionary, it's really the word stupid. It's like God saying, you're stupid here. You're really stupid. You're building up a fat bank account. You've got all these possessions. What are you going to do when you come to me and you're not wealthy towards me? you got nothing. you got zip. You're, in fact, you're in debt. Because you don't have a sacrifice for your sin. You have never repented. You have never trusted in my son. And this is the story he's telling. This is the story that we could tell the world over right now. This world, North America, may have the most wealth. But we are impoverished. We are destitute. We are in debt. Not financially maybe, but definitely before God. We have a great debt. Before God. And so, this is the background for this passage. He goes on to remind them in verses 22 to um, 28. Consider the ravens. (laughs) The word is crows. Now, if you're like me, you have no love for crows. I mean, look at They're smart. They're intelligent. They talk. But they always get into the garbage. Don't you notice that? They're always picking away, putting their big beaks and holes through the garbage pot. They're always getting into things. And um, the, the, But he says, consider the, the ravens while the crows, they neither sow nor reap. And they have neither storehouse nor barn. And God feeds them. Now, we need to start becoming spiritual bird watchers. He says it right here. We need to consider nature around us and look did you know that crows are the first birds back they are before anyone else including the robins is back up to the north they leave here when it gets cold they head to the south they never i've never seen a skinny crow they're always fat and flourishing god takes care of the birds of this world he takes care of the lilies the word lily actually is a rather interesting word. I, in doing some studies on it, I, I discovered that the word actually could be um, another type of plant, an anemone, but uh, I'm not entirely sure. But he goes on to say that the, the lilies of the field, they're, they're red, they cover the Negev at March and April, they're beautifully co- colorful, 
nieces. But think about this. God paints this beautiful brush of his upon the desert sands and then a couple of weeks later, gone. Now, if God cares enough to put beauty into the plants, don't you think he cares a lot more about his highest creation, you and me? You were the pinnacle of God's creation. Humanity, male and female. And he wants to care for us. And we get all our noses out of joint and we're worried about this and we're worried about that. And what we're going to make our payments or whether we're going to uh, have our problems solved with our vehicles or whether we're going to get the mortgage. We were hearing about house buying and he's saying, give it up. That doesn't mean be disrespectful or disorderly or not observant of the facts of this world, but give it up. Don't be anxious. Will he not also clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you shall eat or what you shall drink. Don't have an anxious mind. All these things the nations seek after know that God, your Father, knows you need these things. Seek first the kingdom of God. Keep our priorities straight. The kingdom of God is eternal. Your home is not. That man who built his barns, his possessions, uh, we would say today in northern Ontario would be he built his mansion, he built his cottage, he built his boathouse, he built his guest house, he built all these things, and for what purpose? So he could pass them on to the next generation? Like, really? Is that going to great create real wealth in God's eyes? When God is concerned about reaching the lost for Jesus? And what are we doing with our finances? You know, the, 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 the covetousness, which is what he said in verse 15, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. We would not agree with that today. We'd say, oh, there's a, there's a, a good Christian. He's got good wealth. He's got a good portfolio. He's got a good assets. Why, he is godly. May not be godly at all. God knows the heart. You know your heart. You know what you've been seeking after. But let me put it this way. If all our day, 24 hours, all our week, 168 hours, is spent constantly worrying about finances and fixtures and funds and all these things. If we're worrying about that and spending all our resources about that, are we really loving God? So then he goes on to say, do not fear, little flock. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have. Give alms. Provide for yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. And where your treasure is, there is your heart. It is with its context that he reminds the disciples three things. The first thing is, let your waist be girded. The watchful servants are, have a blessing of having a girded waist. Now, <laughs> this is a term that, I mean, today's age, we don't wear robes like they did then. But what would happen is that a man would have a long robe and he would have a tie around the robe. And when they wanted to run, 
they would pull up the robe and tie it half so that they could run faster. And he says, let your waist be girded. In other words, be ready to run. Don't get caught up with just walking in your positions. Be ready to run. He also reminds them that there's the blessing of having a working lamp. And let your lights be burning. What was the first thing we did when we discovered that across the street a couple of nights ago, this is not yet this morning, but a couple of nights ago, a bear was sitting or pawing at the garbage of our neighbors. And after I kind of realized that I, I was sitting about or standing watching him about 30 feet from my door of the house and that a bear can run about 35 miles an hour. Um, and uh, as soon as I got in panting, Becky says, what happened? I says, a, a bear. <laughs> There's a bear out there. And um, what did we do? We left the lights on all night. You'd do the same. Jesus tells the disciples, keep your light burning. There's never a moment in our 24-hour day when we're not supposed to be ready to hear him say, hey, I need you right now. But we're a lot of times like the virgins in the story, in Matthew's account, you know, getting a little drowsy, falling asleep, letting the lamps go out. And so he says, keep your lamps burning. Keep the working lights on. It's rather interesting that in the marriage ceremonies in the East, this is uh, quite often they will hold the ceremony beside a river out in the outdoors. We try to stay away from that because not only the river floods, but we also have that concept of a downpour in an outdoor wedding. But they don't seem to be mindful of that. And uh, they have it so that when the bridegroom arrives, it's usually at midnight. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And then he's coming to the house of the bride to take her to the place where they're going to have the ceremony. And so, if you were the ones associated with the bride, you would have lamps ready to trim and go out to meet in the darkness the bridegroom as he comes to meet the bride. In the case of the story we're reading, it is the account of the servants of the bridegroom who are waiting. And now the bridegroom is coming back from his nuptials. He's coming back from the marriage ceremony and they are waiting. He says, um, and if he should come at the second watch, that would be between nine and twelve. The third watch would be between twelve and three. And the fourth watch would be between three in the morning and six in the morning. So, it's obvious that he's saying, you better be prepared to wait. Now, what is the big challenge today? Well, there's two big challenges when it comes to the return of the Lord. First of all, he is coming, and he is coming soon. But there's a, there's a, a big challenge in that, and this is what the challenge is. He's been, he's been saying that for 2,000 years. And every generation could look around 
It's amazing. Every generation could look around and say, I see Matthew 24 and the prophecies being fulfilled. I know we are in the last days. And the disciples could say that when they were looking at what was going on around their time. And the first century Christians and the third century Christians and the 10th century Christians, they could say, see, there's wars and rumors of wars. Look at the big crusades that are going down. The fight the auto, the, the, with the, the Turkish nations. And what about all of these other nations and the First World War and then the, oh, we forgot the Napoleonic Wars in the 1800s. And then the First World War in the early 1900s, Second World War in the 1940s. And then you get the Korean War in the 1950s and you get wars, after, rumors of wars. And, you know, right now there are 47 places around the globe where there are wars and conflicts that could in, immediately turn the world into a World War III scenario. We are in that position, and we have always been in that position. He says, don't be surprised. Matthew 24, as he talked to the disciples, he says, don't be surprised about this. This is part of the plan. But he also goes on to say in that same chapter that there are things that you can be aware of. I did a little analysis of them, and if there's any of them you want to see what uh, those signs are, the signs of the times, um, I'd be happy to share that with you. But he goes through in chapter 24 of Matthew, an overview of the age from verses 4 to 13. False messiahs, fake news Jesus. That's what a false messiah is. They're not Jesus. They're not a messiah, but boy, they've got all the pomp and ceremony and miracles and signs and wonders, and they're all over the internet. They're all over this world. Getting rich, I might add. There are wars, there are famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. And if you look at the schedule of earthquakes, you see it's ascending. And every year, the level, intensity of the earthquakes increases. Persecutions, we were thinking of those. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Lawlessness. The day that we live in is the day of lawlessness. Do as thou wilt. Did you know that's right out of the Satanic Bible? Do as thou wilt. In other words, don't bother anybody else. Just do what you think is okay. And that's the motto. That's the agenda of our whole generation. Just do it. It's okay. Don't worry. No right, no wrong. Just go ahead and do it. Lawlessness, but I love what he says in verse 14, and the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a witness. Let's never forget the promise, verse 14 of Matthew 24. The gospel's going to go out amidst all of that. He goes into the signs of his coming, the second question that is asked by the disciples, verses 15 to the latter part of the signs, uh, right up to verse 35. The sign of the abomination of desolation. You're going to have to look into that one. spoken of by Daniel. Verse 15. The sign of more false Christ. Verse 23. The sign of the tribulation in the sun, the moon, and the stars. The sign of the Son of Man appearing in the sky. What's that? Verse 30. The sign of the great trumpet and the gathering together. Verse 31. The sign of the fig tree. He says, learn the parable of the fig tree. When its leaves and branches become tender and it puts forth its leaves, you know that he is near. We are now in the 71st year since the nation of Israel was reestablished as a nation. And one possible interpretation, although there are alternate views, 
One possible interpretation says we are now in the generation that is the last generation for Moses said in Psalms that the days of our lives are 70 years and if perverted they're strong, they might go to 80. And so this particular interpretation takes the 80 years and applies it to the fig tree, the fig tree being Israel. Um, you can uh, come to me and think, tell me what you think of that interpretation. But the last part of this chapter, Matthew 24, says it this way. But of the day or the hour, no one knows. Verse 36. Verse 39. And they did not know when Noah entered the ark. Verse 42. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. 43. If he had have known, he would have watched. Verse 44, the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then the faithful servant and the evil servant, in verse 51, he says, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Those who did not live and watch are the unbelievers. My master has delayed his coming, and he beat his fellow servants. So, blessed is the servant whom he comes will find so doing. So what are you doing with your life? One of the reasons why we meet together is to be challenged, to take inventory, to make a little checklist and say, am I living for Jesus? I sing about it. I will follow. I pray about it. I say I will follow you. But what am I actually doing with my finances, with my time, with my priorities? Our families are important. Let's never deny that. God works through families. So I would never say, like somebody said, I will follow, therefore I'm going to leave my wife and kids. No. God works through families. And he never asks us to do something. Look at Abraham. Abraham left, but he didn't leave his wife. He left and came out with Sarah. The same is true with every person of God, including, by the way, Peter, who says he led about a life. Well, well. That might be a mistranslation. A wife accompanied him where he went. That's really what it says. And I'm so thankful that we work better with two. For those of us who are single, I want you to know that God has never left you or abandoned you. He is a plan for each one of us. And that plan is that we might devote ourselves entirely to him and he will bring it to pass. Delight yourself in the Lord, he says, and I will give you the desires of your heart. And so, as we've looked at this passage today, I trust and pray that you and I will love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and love our neighbors as ourselves. This passage in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 12, reminds us that we need to be watchful that we need to be having our lights burning, need to have our waistcoats girded up. I think Hebrews puts it this way. In Hebrews 12, he says, Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne 
of God. We need to consider Him. And I trust that you and I have done so because the Lord Jesus has given us everything we need to live out the Christian life. And as we do so, mighty things will happen. Revival will happen and God's name will be lifted up. And just like you see these nails in the cross representing some 48 or 49 individuals last night who put that nail to represent their sin, so too, you and I can do that figuratively speaking, or if you decide afterwards you want to take one of the, there's more nails here, take one and put it on the cross as well. But the point that I'm trying to say is we placed our sin on Jesus. Jesus bore it on the tree. God who knew him put our sins on him. God who knew them put our sins on him and believing we are free. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and finish off the, uh, the uh, time this morning with the time of worship. And may God bless you as you go forward for him as a watchful servant.